And probably that's probably one of the main reasons, that because we don't talk about it as much as we should be talking about it, it's probably the reason why we have so many problems uh, doing what the Lord wants us to do many, many times. But the title of my message today is Establishing a Good Moral Standard. I started to call it a great moral standard, but I figured if we could shoot for good, if we could start with good, we'll work for great later. Okay? Uh, I didn't want to get into this greatness and all this type of stuff, but the basic of biblical foundation is having a good moral foundation. Many times when we talk about morals and, and morality and things of that nature, the first thing we jump on is immorality. Okay? But there's a lot of morals in God's, in God's Word that God teaches us to do. And I was, what got me started on this was I was, we were, because we've adopted a school, I was looking at ways in which we could uh, teach morals without actually having to teach the Word of God because morals are morals. And so by not using scriptures but just using the words themselves, the morals and things of that nature. And so I came, uh, came up with a list of those, and there's no way I can do all of those, that's for sure. But moral values that we have established in line with the Word of God or more aligned with the worldview. Which one do we have? Are our moral values more aligned to what the Word of God says? In other words, the Word of God gives us instruction into what we're supposed to do for righteousness. It says holiness. He says, without righteousness, holiness is no man will ever see me. Because he said you have to be that way. There is things that God wants us to do. There's a life that he wants us to live. And a lot of times, a lot of churches today has got away from teaching morality and teaching the things and morals of, of God's Word. And because of that, you can see the situation that we've got ourselves into. Most Christians would say that their morals are in line with Scripture. Most people would say that, but I ask you this, is that actually true? Because I believe that Jesus taught that our moral values are based on two major Christian principles. He gave two of the greatest commandments that he gave the two great commandments. And I believe that all of our morals are based on those. The first being, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. Heart, soul, and mind. The heart, soul, and mind. It says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. That's the choice that we make in our own hearts. That's the soul. That's the heart, the mind, the, that we, the emotions that we deal with every day. That's that flesh side of us that we have to bring into obedience to God's Word. Because inside our spirit is a perfect is a perfect moral value. God's Word planted inside of us gives us a perfect, a perfect plan to which we can be able to walk according to everything that He said. And He said, And love your neighbor as yourself. That's the Scriptures found in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39, where it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And this is the first commandment. But the second is like this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we can just live by those two principles in our morality that we have today, that would be the full extent of what God taught because He taught everything and everything was based on love. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Everything has the basis of, 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 the, of the Word of God is love. If we were to bounce every decision off of love, all of the things that we would be doing would be correct. The world has a set of moral values and definitions that they've been taught. And these definitions of what they say is moral which is really immorality, but moral, they say it was moral, they're being taught to our children and to adults. It's easier to learn something fresh than is to unlearn something already taught and accepted. Once the seed has been planted, 
it's hard to dig it out because it takes root. And once you have something that's been established that is incorrect, then it becomes harder and harder to correct because the argument comes at you of the lie that has been taught to you. And it's because it's already got rooted and grounded inside of us, and we have begun to take on the language of the world. Now, I'm not talking about the language of the world, like using God's name in vain or anything like that, but we begin to take on the language of the world. We start talking the way the world talks. And and when people talk about offense and feelings, I'll be honest with you today. If I offend someone here today, I will say, hooray, hooray, because Jesus offended people almost every word that came out of His mouth. I'm not here to say, great, 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 great are we, because we're not at that point of greatness. Some of you, we are. I'm not, because we all stumble at things. But I'm beginning to see more and more and more of the influence. Where did it start? It started a long time ago. These changes appeared. I like to blame it on the hippie movement. That way I blame it on my generation. Can you see me with long hair? Glasses that had the little, where you could see the light and it would just go, psychedelic. But we had a generation of love. We thought we knew what love was, but we found out real fast that what we had was not love, it was lust. It wasn't that, so it started out. Then, as the hippie movement began to become parents, we created a generation of love children. I'm one of those love children. No, my my son is a love child. The problem is I didn't have my son when I was 20 to 25 or 30 years old. I didn't get my son until I was 40 years old. He's adopted, and I got a son at 40 years old. So uh, I didn't really, he didn't really, even though he is that generation, he got born a little bit later, so he's not of the, some of those generations, but he still is and still has a lot of the views and so forth. But it all started back, in, I like to say, in the hippie days where the children were just grown up. So what are moral standards? A lot of people don't. They have a moral standard. They say they have a moral standard, but what is a moral standard? Moral standard is, are those concerned with relating to human behavior, especially the distinction between good and bad behavior. Moral standards involves the rules people have about the kinds of actions that they believe are morally right or morally wrong. Okay, Now, you're saying, Pastor, you're talking to a Pentecostal, Spirit-filled church this morning. Why are you talking about moral values? Because all of us are human. We're all human and we all have our own ideas. We all have our own uh, understandings. We all have our opinions. I'm here to say this morning, our opinions can be right and our opinions can be wrong. The Word of God does not deal in opinions. It deals in facts. It believes, it talks about the facts of what God's Word says. And this book tells us exactly how we are to live. I can't go through. I've got one 
message for today, and I cannot by any stretch of the imaginations do anything. But today, the teaching of moral values are not seen often because they are not popular. You don't see it, you don't see it taught about. You don't see it, anybody speaking about it. And if our church family, our personal families, friends are not told these values and the things that are wrong, how will they know they're wrong? How can one know what is right unless somebody tells them what is right? And how can you know what is wrong unless someone tells you that it's wrong? My father and my mother raised me with principles of what was right and what was wrong. I got out in the world and I had to make a choice. But I knew what was right and I knew what was wrong and I had to make the choice. I could make a choice in the wrong direction and get in trouble over it. Okay? But I could make a choice. Now, hopefully I pray that I made more good decisions. I know I did make a lot of good decisions because I got in, in school. I was in, in high school. I was, I was reasonably popular. Uh, only because, not because I had money, I was poor, had nothing to do with that. Everybody else had their, what you would call today, the Izogs in the, back in the day, the, 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 all the, uh, uh, what's that one from England, what was it called? Anyway, can't remember, it's the jackets we used to wear that was real expensive. Well, huh? Okay. All the big fancy ones and stuff, and everybody wanted, and they came from the store across the street from where my mother bought my clothes. My mother... Now, I did buy from a French tailor shop. I, do, I will tell you that. There was a French tailor shop called J.C. Pinay's. <laughs> so I, I, I went to this French tailor shop, French, you know, and I got all of the same shirts, but they didn't have the emblems on them, you know. So, uh, but I did, my mother did dress me the best that she could dress me, and I went to school. But I was popular because I was an athlete. Athletes have a tendency to be, be popular in school. And I remember one day when I was a sophomore, I think it was a sophomore, I might have been a freshman, sophomore, I was walking down the hall with my girlfriend, carrying her books to class. Oh, not good. Okay. Carrying the books to class, and I walked by the, all the teachers stood out by their doors, you know, keep ordering the halls. And my algebra teacher says, come here, Larry. He said, I want you to look to your right. There's about seven or eight young seventh and eighth grade boys that I've been watching them. They walk with your swag. They're doing everything that you do. And I want you to know that they're watching you and what you do, they're going to do. That made a dramatic impact upon my life. I didn't realize it, but I was even used by the Mercury's Dime Store. Everybody remember Mercury's Dime Store? Okay. I am showing my age. I understand that. I understand that. But I went to the Mercury's Dime Store with my mother, and the manager came forward and said, Larry, I got something for you. I said, what? So I want to give you something. I said, come with me. So I asked my mother if I could go. She said, yeah, I was in high school. So I went back there, and he got a Duncan yo-yo. Duncan, you ain't yo-yoing if you don't have a Duncan. A yo-yo. A yo-yo. I am old. I understand. It's not electronic. You had to put it down there and you had to bring it back up. If you did that, it didn't come back up. You didn't get it. You didn't know how to Duncan if you didn't know how to yo-yo. Okay? And he gave me this yo-yo. And he said, I only give it to you with one condition. I said, what's that? He said, take it to school with you this week and yo-yo in the hallways. 
I didn't know that. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm smart enough to know what he did now, but I wasn't smart enough to know what he was doing then. So the first day I go in, and during walking up down the hallways, I'm just walking down the hallway doing my yo-yo. I'd walk the dog, let it walk a little bit, and I'd snatch it back up, you know, and then I'd you know, do around the world, you know, do around the world, and I'd throw it, and I'd go like this. Guess what happened the second day? Those eight boys had yo-yos. The next day, half the school had yo-yos, and guess who got called to the office? It wasn't the eight boys. It wasn't the other people that were doing the yo-yo. It was me. And they said, you can't do this yo-yo in the school. you got everybody buying yo-yos. I said, what's wrong with the yo-yo? They said, we can't have, you don't need to be doing yo-yos at school because they're doing them in class. I said, I don't do it in class. I just do it. I know, but the 7th and the 8th graders don't know that. Now, I realize I was used, but the thing about it is we have influence in doing things, right? And the thing about it is we are being, that same cunningness that was used on me to be able to do that is being used on us every day. You think that the devil's not cunning in the way that he's planting the seeds in our lives of the morals that he wants, to, that he wants us to do? Of course they are. They're there. So, Paul warns us in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 11. I know this is long, and I'm going to move as quickly as I can. I think I've got plenty of time here, okay? Well, we're going to read this. There's several verses here, and I'll make comments as I go to, instead of reading the whole thing and then coming back to it because it'll just take longer, okay? For I want you to know how great a struggle we have on your behalf. And for those who are in Laodicea, for all of those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, love, and that they would attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in true knowledge of God's mystery. That is, Christ Himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Is hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are right here. All of the treasures. All the knowledge you need is right here. All the right stuff is here. And if we do what's right, we won't do what's wrong. Okay? I say this so that no one will deceive you with pervasive arguments. They started out as arguments with conflict in the early days. And they survived because they made people believe the lie, the argument they were making. And now are taught as facts. They're not facts. They're still the lie that they were from the very beginning. And I always use the example, and I've used this before, and I'll make it quick. But you can say a lie long enough that it becomes the truth. How many of you have heard this? The Constitution, the Constitution of the United States says that there must be a separation between the church and the state. How many of you have heard that? How many of you believe that? Praise the Lord. Somebody's got through to us. Praise the Lord. That's not in the Constitution. But it's been used over and over and over, and a lot of people will quote that today thinking that that is absolutely the truth, but it's not. It's not even in there, but yet we quote it. For even though I am absent in body, I I am nevertheless with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your orderly manner 
and the stability of your faith in Christ. And he's talking about how good their stability is in Christ. Realize he just gave them a hoop blue, okay? Then he says, therefore, no, okay, now comes the, now comes. As you have received Christ Jesus and Lord, so walk in Him. We must walk in Christ. Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him. He says, if we live in Christ, we should be rooted in Him. Not rooted in what the world has placed inside of it. The seed of the Word should be rooted inside of us, not the seed of weeds. But many lives have more weeds rooted than they have the seed of the Word of God rooted in them. He says, you're rooted, if you are rooted in the seed, you can identify this. The thing about it is, every person here was born with a conscience to know right and wrong. Behavior is a learned behavior. It's a learned thing, right? We, we learn it over time, or we're taught it over time. So therefore, if we are taught the truth, then we should be rooted in the truth. If we're taught a lie, we'll be rooted in a lie. Now, having been firmly rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith. We should always establish. And that's not talking about establishing the faith, talking about having faith to do something. That's talking about what we are. We are established in our faith. Our faith being the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of it, completely, every bit of it, right? Now, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude because you have it. We should be overflowing because of the truth that God has planted inside of us and what God has given us to be able to live by on our day-to-day, on, on the day-to-day life. So, to these, there is no one. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy. Philosophy is a plausible but faulty or misleading argumentation. It's an argument that they make. But it's still, when you start talking about philosophy, and everybody wants to talk about the philosophers. I don't want to go there. I need to go somewhere, but time is keeping me from going there. Okay? Empty deception. And empty, you know, stay away from it. Don't let anybody catch you with empty deception. The one bad thing, do you know what the one real bad thing about deception is? Once you become deceived, you can't see the truth. If you can't see the truth, then how are you going to walk in the truth if you become deceived about what the truth really is? And it's happening. They're teaching it in schools. They taught it in school. They taught it. They began to teach some of it when I was in school. I got in more. I got in a lot of arguments at school because I was taught the right thing. And when they started trying to teach something that was wrong like free love and all that kind of stuff. I did it when I was in high school, but then when I got into the hippie, a lot of you think, well, you know, I was a big hippie and all that kind of stuff. I wasn't a hippie. <laughs> I was just the opposite. That's the reason I said, could you see me with that? And could you see me with that? My hair was a little bit long, but that was just only because I had to pay for air haircuts and I would get $15 a month from the school to be able to get my hair cut. So I didn't get them very often. But it wasn't because I wanted long hair, that was for sure. But anyway, 
So empty deception. Make sure that we're not deceived. Because if we do, then we no longer see it. In accordance with the elementary, in accordance with the elementary principles of the world. Elementary principles. Elementary means the basics. Right? It all starts small and goes big. Okay? Think of it. Just think about what's happened. And we'll talk about some of them later. But things that have happened. Begin to think about that. Rather than being in accordance with Christ. In other words, we should be in accordance with Christ. So don't let this happen to you. For in Him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in Him we have been made complete. And He is head over every ruler and authority. It doesn't matter that Biden is the President of the United States. Guess who's over Biden? God is. God is in control. We don't see it. We just, I just can't see it. I just I can't. Look. Nobody's where God doesn't want them to be right now. Except the sinner. <laughs> He's not where God wants him to be, right? Okay. Now, I'm not going to have time to go over every moral that there is in the Bible today. And, and, but you can look at, at, at uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long service, gentle kindness, temperance, faith, all that. You can look at those. Go kind of stay away from some of those. But I want to talk to you about a principle called honesty. Honesty means being truthful and fair in all of your dealings with other people. Honesty also includes the willingness to admit when you've made a mistake. Proverbs twelve seventeen says, He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. Are we honest? And I'll say, are you honest with yourself? Are we honest with ourselves? How many times do we lie to ourselves about our walk with the Lord and the sins that slip into and control our lives? But honesty is taught in God's Word. Honesty is something that we need to teach to our children. I look on the, look on the news when I do look on the news. I don't do it much anymore. And they, these places where people, they call it uh, snatch, and, snatch and grab, I think is what they call it, where they just break into a place, a whole mob of people come in, run into a place, and they all start stealing everything that's there. Stealing. Is that honest? What were they taught? Who got them all riled up to the point they got them talking? Because they had to be, they weren't born that way. But they were taught that somewhere. Respect. Respect means treating other people with courtesy and consideration. It also includes respecting their property. Stuff, example that I just gave. Their privacy and their views and beliefs. When you respect someone... You treat them with dignity and consideration. You also avoid doing anything that might hurt or offend them. What are we being taught today? Are we taught respect for one another? We're not. We're not to respect. How can you respect somebody if you go beat them up? How can you respect somebody if you destroy them on the social medias, the TikToks and the round clocks and the back clocks and whatever they are 
all these social media where I hear that kids get on there and get something wrong and they get it and it spreads all over the Internet and people, these kids commit suicide over it. Why? Because people don't have respect for someone else. Would they do the same thing to themselves? The Bible says do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Would you, if you, if you respect others, you will get respect. You don't respect others, you won't get respect. So the basis is we have to do what we want to get. So therefore, we want to, if we want to have respect, then we must give respect. Another value, responsibility. Being responsible means to be reliable, dependable. It also includes being accountable for the actions and taking responsibility for your mistakes. Look at the Good Samaritan. Injured. But the Samaritan took care of him. Even paid for him. Do I have to read the verse? But you, look, you, can, look in the, you can look at the story of the, of, of the Lord in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, if you want to read it when you get home. But it says the innkeeper. He told the innkeeper, says, take care of him. Here's some money. Take care of him. If he needs more to take care of than I give you, when I come back through, I'll pay for it. Okay? He took responsibility for that one that was injured. How many times do we take responsibility for the actions? Not only sometimes it's being done, but what we do. Now the one that kind of controls all of this, and that's called self-control. We know about self-control, right? Timothy said, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but the power of love and self-control. Self-control is also a fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, the whole nine yards, right? And self-control is part of the Spirit of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God, you have all of those nine manifestations inside of you. They're there right now. You say, well, I've got to pray for self-control. You already have it. You just need to engage it. You've got to get it from your spirit and get it into your flesh. Because it already resides in you. If you're a born-again child of God, you already have the power inside of you to overcome anything that Satan throws at you. You just have the responsibility to take that which is in your spirit, move it over and get it on the, on the flesh side to get the flesh to control what the spirit says you already have been made an overcomer with. It's there. It's already there for you. Self-control is there. Now, is the world teaching us self-control? If it feels good, do it. I don't know if you came up with that, but I did. They started throwing that out back when I was young. Well, if it feels good, you ought to just do it. Well, what if it's wrong? I remember one time they asked me if I wanted to go every year, every year, the senior class for homecoming painted the water tower in Winter Garden, Florida. And I was asked, would I go and help them paint the tower, water tower? I said, no. Why do you want to do that for? Well, it's a tradition. Well, it's a bad tradition. And I didn't go, and I got rebuked for it. I got made fun of because of it. Larry's just 
He, does, he, he just doesn't want to participate in all of our... But I was taught that it was wrong to destroy someone else's property. But there's a group of people out there today that's busting in places, robbing houses, beating people up, and you know, to have no self-control. Because we don't teach self-control anymore. Be what you want to be. Do what you want to do. It's just out there. That's what's being taught. But we know that the Bible tells us to have self-control. To have the love of God. To have the joy of the Lord. To have peace. If you don't have peace, I'm telling you, your spirit has all the peace you need. All you got to do is move it across. All you got to do is engage it. But we don't engage those things that we have inside of us that's the Spirit of God. It just doesn't get engaged. Now, I've spoken about basic morals, and there are many, many, many more. I know there are many, many more. But I want to get to some more serious violations of God's morals. This is the lies that are being pressed on our society, both kids and adults. If you do not have a strong biblical knowledge and strength, there are teachings that are being pushed out on us today that we will accept as being truth instead of a lie. Sexual immortality. Immorality. Sexual immorality. Now, there's a list of those. I'll just read them. Fornication, adultery, pornography, homosexuality. I could go on with transgender and furries and everybody else. God created male and female. That's what the word of that's what this says. God created male and female. Man created 67 different genders. One is by scientifically proven. If you have a problem knowing whether or not you're male or female, come to me after church. If you're a girl, I will send you with my wife. If you're a boy, I will go with you, and we will go, and we will prove to you which one you are. Now, that's funny, isn't it? When you think about it, that's funny. But that's how ridiculous it is. That's how ridiculous that it is. But yet, we have conflict in America today to where 71% of the American people believe that same-sex marriages are okay. 71%. That's more than we have in the church. (laughs) It's more than we have in our church today. But anyway... Many would ask why I'm talking about these things, something so obvious to the Christian faith. Is it so obvious that people aren't doing it? It may be obvious to us, and I will tell you this, it may be obvious to some of you, but not as obvious to others. Statistically speaking, I'm not speaking on the congregation, statistically speaking, 71% of you believe in same-sex marriage. Statistically. That doesn't mean that there's one in here that believes that. You understand what I'm saying? There's not one. But I'm saying from a statistical standpoint, that's what it is. So in many churches today, these obvious violations of God's Word is not being accepted every day and are being accepted every day as acceptable behavior for a Christian. Fornication is a general term that's used for all the sexual immorality. But mostly it's 
for sin, for, for sin uh, outside of marriage. But specifically fornication, the Greek word is pornia, pornania, which we get the, the Greek word pornography. The world says that, that living together outside of marriage is okay and it's right. This book says it's not right. You can believe one or you can believe the other. This is happening more and more. 51% say that it's normal behavior. Does anybody know what normal behavior is by definition? What 51% says is. That's what's normally considered to be what you call normal. I'm telling you, it's what this says that's normal. Anything outside of this is abnormal. And that's abnormal behavior, which I did study in college, so I, have, I do have uh, training in abnormal psychology. Even though the abnormal psychology they were teaching was abnormal within itself at that particular time. And I didn't do very well in that course because me and the teacher went at odds just about every class. I was born as a Y kid. Is anybody else here a Y kid? A Y kid. When somebody says something, you say, Why? Well, why? My dad used to get very irritated with me because I would ask why so many times, and it would finally get to the point of, because I said so, that's why. And the conversation ended. Did anybody grow up with that? None of you grew up with that one. My dad was unique. I can tell he's unique, whatever the case may be. Hebrews 13.4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And marriage bed is undefiled. For God will judge sexual immorality and adulterers. It doesn't say He's going to be good to you. It says He will judge you. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 4. Now concerning things which I wrote to you, it is, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. All right, guys, teenagers, the Bible says not to touch that young lady. If you love her, you won't. And girls, if you love him, you won't let him. That's out of the book of Larry, but it's in the Word of God. It's in the Word of God, okay? Because sexual immorality, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. And the husband must fulfill the duties of the wife, and likewise, the wife to the husband. For the wife does not have authority over her body, but her husband does. And the likewise, the husband does not have authority over his body, but she does. That's called mutual respect for one another. That's called mutual togetherness of one another. You put that in perfect harmony, you've got a perfect relationship in the sense of that from a sexual standpoint. And I guarantee you, you get that in the right place, it's going to be in the right place for God. Adultery is sex with a partner, another partner, while you're married to someone else. I want to get the definition so people understand, because we throw fornication around, which is marriage, but, but when you're not married and you commit sexual with someone, that's fornication. But adultery is if one, one party or the other is married to someone else. 
That means if both are married and they come together with somebody else, they're both committing it, right? So that's committing what, that's what adultery is. Matthew 5, 27 through 28. For if you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Okay, that's what the Bible taught. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Okay? But I say unto you, this is Jesus talking, by the way. This is not Paul. This is Jesus talking. He says, but I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in, with her in his heart. Ooh. So a man can't look at a woman and desire her if that's not his wife. That's what the Word says. That's not what I'm saying. That's what the Word says. Okay? Now, does everybody, does everybody understand here that men are stimulated by sight and women by touch? That's a physiological fact that God placed in man, man and a woman. So therefore, men are stimulated by sight. Well, if they're a child, if they're really truly a child of God, they wouldn't look. There's a side of me that's called human. Okay? I may be old, but I'm not dead. Okay? But there's a responsibility. If men look at women and can desire women, then I think that women have a responsibility to cover up. If you dress to be seen... You're dressing the wrong way. And that's men and women, not just men. Because we shouldn't be dressing to be seen by, especially by the opposite sex. Maybe if you're just trying to impress some of the, the whole thing about it, if, you do, if you're doing it to be seen and not just to come and to go, we're doing it for the wrong things. Now, I'll be honest with you. I'll be very honest with you. I picked this specific suit out because I like this suit to wear this morning. But it wasn't to impress you. It's just because I like this particular suit. I didn't wear it to try to seduce any of you women or anything with it. That would border a miracle to start with, but anyway. Uh, but the Ten Commandments, one of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But the world says, It's okay. What are our kids being taught? It's okay. I'm telling you, kids, it's not okay. It's a sin. All you young people living together out of wedlock, God will forgive you for it. But you can't continue in sin. You just can't do it. Okay? Pornography. Pornography is probably the biggest sexual sin in the church today. Not in the world. I understand what I said. In the church today. You can tell by me I'm a person who looks at a lot of polls to get polling data. And I use one called the Pew Research, which is a biblical-based company. But it says, in a recent poll, 68% of church-going men, 68% of church-going men, and more than 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, 76% actively search for porn. 59% of pastors said married men seek help from them 
because of porn use. 33% of women ages 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. There are many other statistics, but I think you get the point, what I'm trying to say. It is, people would say, well, is that true of our church? I don't know. We would want to say that it's not here because we're a spirit-filled church and we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives. But we also have a spirit of, this, spirit, this spirit inside of us that's telling us to do right. Spirit, the Holy Spirit's in there telling us to do right, but do we always do the right thing? Why? Because we haven't brought the flesh under obedience to God's Word. There's many people that deal with these things that are strongholds in their lives. We have a ministry on, on, first, on the first Friday night, Breaking strongholds. That's the time to get to break the strongholds in your life. Any strongholds that you have is to break that stronghold in your life. Okay? Now, I would think that there's less here, but I'm sure that it's happening to some degree. Because we have that human flesh. If you do, I want you to know there's help. For men, I have a contact that he himself was delivered from pornography and now he's helping other men to do the same thing. If you don't want to do it through the church here and you'd like to do it external to the church, you come and see me and I'll give you that name and you can take it and run with it as you want to. I'll give you his phone number. I'll give you his name and his phone number. You can call and set up for the classes if you want, but just talk to him about it. Um, but women, same thing. If you do it, come. If you don't want to come to me, come to one of the ladies, come to my wife uh, or one of the other ladies in the church to be praying with you about those particular things. Now, I want to get on to, because I need to get finished here, I want to get on to the one that there's such a big misunderstanding about it, and that's homosexuality. A man with, a man with men and women with women. The argument, there's an argument flying around that the Bible that says, there's an army that says that it's not wrong, and the Bible does not say that it's wrong, because the word homosexual did not even come into existence until recently, and the word is not in the original text. That's the argument that homosexuality is okay. Okay? Well, I have to say that that's true. That's a true statement. Homosexual. The word homosexuality did not come into existence until a few translations ago. So, I would like to read out of the translation that is not modern. I'd like to go back to an older translation. Well, I, this one's even a new translation in the New King James Version. In Leviticus 20, verse 13. And you young people, I'd like you to write this stuff down because you may need this at some point. You, and all of you may need these scriptures at some point in time if you ever get into a discussion about homosexuality. If a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Now, notice he didn't say homosexual. I, he didn't, I don't think the Bible wanted us to have a misunderstanding of what, what, what it really was. It's not, a, it's not about a word of homosexuality. It's about an action. Okay? It's not about a word. It's about an action. So God made it perfectly clear. If a man lies with a male... now. Just to make that simple, in the Hebrew, male means man. 
Man means man. Okay? Now that's in the Hebrew. In the Greek, man means man. And in the Greek, male means man. Do we have that understanding? Now, we've got the Hebrew out of the way. We've got the Greek out of the way. Do you want to try Latin? Even in the dead language, man means man and male means man. So if a man lies with a man, the way he lies with a woman. If you don't know how to lie with a woman, come and see us. We can talk to you about that. It says, they shall surely be put to death. And their blood shall be required upon them. Okay? One place, he says it's an abomination. And it says you put it to death. Now, let's go to the New Testament so we can hit some Greek. Okay? Romans 1, verses 26 and 27. And if you want to read the depravity of man, start in Romans chapter 1, verse 1, and go all the way through the end of the chapter, and you see how... People become homosexuals, okay? You can see how it becomes an abomination, right? But here it says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections, for even their women did not change, did change their natural use into that which is against nature. Male, female, nature. We have male deer and we have female deer. We have male this and male that, male this and male that. The only place that we don't keep it male and female is in the human society because we think we're smarter than God. And likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemingly, and receiving in themselves the recompense for their error, which was met. So even though the word homosexual is not there, the intent of action is clear. Do we understand now that homosexuality, based upon the Word of God, is wrong? If you happen to be one of the 71%, you're living a lie. You're living a falsehood. I'm not talking political. I'm talking Christian. I'm talking the Word of God. The word Republican and Democrat is not in here. But Christian values and Christian morality is all in it. It's here. We have to teach this to our young kids and our youth to not experiment with sex in any of these practices because it opens the door to the abomination of God. God said it is, he just wants to just, uh, when he sees it. I'm just going to mention one more thing briefly because I've got to stop Abortion. This has become a major problem since the Supreme Court decision to make it illegal. I've spoken about this before where I said that 61% of people believe that it's okay. 
That means there are many church in the church today that believe that abortion is okay. It is a woman's choice. A woman does have a choice. She has a choice before she has sex. That's where the choice stops. Once that happens, I hate to say it, but it's roll of the dice. Okay? That's the reason God said only have sex when you're married and with your wife. There was a reason why he did that. I'm not sure why that 61% believe that way. But this I know. I, you can write this one in your book because this one's the truth. 100%, I can tell you 100% of the people who believe it is a woman's choice had a mother that didn't. The only people saying that you have a choice is one that the mother chose to have them and didn't choose to abort them. So they're now making a choice different than their mother made when the mother chose them. My son is adopted. I have a son because a young lady got pregnant, 19 years old. She'd gotten pregnant at 16 years old and kept the son. Wasn't doing a good job with him, so when she got pregnant again at 19, I adopted him. Because it wasn't she didn't want him, she couldn't take care of him. I wouldn't have a son today if it weren't for someone else who chose not to abort my son, but gave him to me. There's, there's many scriptures in the Bible that says not to murder. The Bible teaches that conception, that, that life begins at conception, therefore aborting a child is murder. James 1.15 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. What would have happened if Jeremiah's mother had aborted him? Psalm 139, 13 and 16 says, For you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. You know, they say it's just an unformed blob. You saw my substance. It was just substance. It's just a blob. David says, Your eyes saw my substance being unformed. And in your book, they are all written. He already put life to it. It was written. The days fashioned me when as yet there were none of them. Society continues to seek to devalue the lives of the unborn. If the unborn child has no right to life, and life is so cheap that with a 
sign of a pen, a doctor will take that child away and kill it. If life has no value, no wonder suicide rate is increasing. No wonder we have people getting killed by killed day after day after day after day because no one values life anymore. The value of life has gone away. Society just continues to devalue the lives of the unborn, creating its own definitions of humanity based on distorted views of morality. But the undeniable fact is that life begins at creation and the human is created as soon as he or she is conceived. Man may be able to, to, be able to put an egg and a sperm together and create life, but they have yet to be able to make a sperm and they've been yet to be able to create an egg. Okay? Life begins there. If it didn't begin there, it wouldn't be necessary. It, it, it begins there. Our value as human beings created in the image is, con- is conceived even before we are. It's time for us to get back to the moral basics of God's Word and quit listening to this depraved world and all of their falsehoods, all of their lies, and nothing but pure propaganda in our lives today. It's time for us to stand fast on what we believe and voice our opinions because everybody that that says it's wrong or says it's okay, they're voicing their opinions and we have our rights to voice ours. If it offends them, so be it. Jesus offended many. Almost every time He spoke, He was offending the Pharisees or something that they were doing. But what He was teaching was what? Truth. What they had was a lie. And it's time for us to stand up for what's truth. Don't be scared to voice your belief system, because what you have is the absolute, unequivocal truth of God's Word standing behind you. And if they don't, they're already trying to get this kicked out, trying to say the Bible's not what the Bible ought to be. Why? Because all of the answers that goes against all the truth, that goes against all of their lives is inside this book. So to be able to destroy it in your life is to destroy the book. Don't let them destroy the book. They're trying to take this book away. But I will tell you something. I will tell you this in closing. Be careful with the Bibles that you buy to read. And I don't care which one of them it is. Because a lot of the manufacturers of Bibles has been bought out by the world. And they're beginning to change some of the Scriptures. Okay? So be careful. The older Bible you can find that was printed years ago, you're getting back to, the closer to the authentic that you get back to, the closer you're going to get to the authentic because a lot of it's being changed today in many of the Bibles today. And I'm not going to get into which ones they are. That's another, that's another lesson within itself. But it's important for us to know we must stand for the highest moral standards and stop living in the new world substandard moral value. Three things to remember. I'll do this closing. God's moral standard can't be, can't be dismissed, diluted, or compromised. Remember that if we don't stand up for what's right, we become part of the problem and also partakers in the sins 
by condoning them. Many times we sin by condoning sin that we have the opportunity to change. It's time. May the Lord which the bless you. Would you stand with me? Praise God. Father, I just love you and I thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I stand for what's right, Lord. I see so many being deceived. And by being deceived, they can't see the truth. Lord, I know that there are people here this morning that need help in their struggles. But Lord, you said that you're here to help us in our time of need. And he said, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And that God, that I can do all things. Lord, if you strengthen me, and Lord, and give me the power and to do so. And God, you can give that to each and every one of us tonight. If you're here today, you've never made a commitment to the Lord, or maybe you've backslid, you've walked out on God. This message has in some way taught you that you need to come back to the truth and where the truth is. If you're here today, would you slip your hand up and say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me. Is there one this morning? Anybody? If you need prayer... We're going to have our prayer team to come. And uh, as they come, if you need prayer for anything, sickness, whatever you got. If you also have problems with some of these things and you need to talk to get the information from me, I will get the information to you. I will keep it very private. It will be, deep. It will be between you and I. If you don't want to do it here, you can call me. If you, don't have, if you don't have my phone number, call the office. I give the office permission to give my phone number out to anyone in the church. That needs, that wants to talk to me. And so may the Lord richly bless you as you come. Father, go with us to our homes, keep a hedge of safety around us, and bring us back at the next appointed time to worship you and praise you. And we'll say to everyone, Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. And may the Lord richly bless you as you get together with your families and uphold the Word of God. And be thankful that what God has done for you. May the Lord richly bless you as you go. Thank you so much.